This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 26, recorded on April 3rd, 2020. podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science. I'm Dr. Abby Abdallah, and I'm here with Dr. Fawner and Dr. Keller. How's everyone doing? Hanging in there? I am still alive. Still alive? <laughs> this is good that's news. A, that's a good thing. Yeah. I have been uh, just at home for way it's felt like forever. too long. <laughs> yeah, it has felt like too long. You know, I got in my car today. And driving over here, it felt like I was having this surreal experience, like out of body, right? Because it, I hardly get in the car and drive around anymore. And that happened last weekend, too, uh, when we went out to the store. And it's almost like I didn't forget how, but it just felt weird <laughs> to be in that car again. You know, going through stop signs, going through red lights. I, I just think circles around the parking yeah, lot. Just to relearn. Yeah. Just so you all know, we are at Dr. B. Abdullah's house, but I would have you know that we are still practicing social distancing. That's right. Yeah, not bad. We are, uh, what, at the end of the second week of working from home yep. as uh, faculty at LICOM. We got uh, sent home effectively two yeah. weeks ago. Uh, I'm a bit also, disappointed, though, that none of us are in. Proper professional attire. I thought about <laughs> yes. coming over here. I, with a I suit did tie. not put on a suit this morning. <laughs> I feel pretty comfortable. For those of you listening from the Cobb administration, I am in full dress code. <laughs> That's right. That's it's right. a nice red shirt and polka dotted tie. You have. That's on a there. fact. That's a fact. We are uh, coming to you today from my uh, dining room. So mm-hmm. if the voice is usually. Uh, uh, of better quality, we do apologize. Yeah, the acoustics I mean, sound the, nice in the, here. The, yeah. Than today, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sound, sounds okay so far. Well, we'll just join all the other people, the late night hosts and, you know, radio show hosts. I know Howard Stern, they're doing Zoom to keep the radio show going. So, hey, whatever it takes. what you got to do. Um, you know, I, I was watching uh, the... Trevor show, what's that show? Trevor Noah? Yeah, yeah. What's, yeah. The, what's the name the of the Daily show? show. The right. Daily Show. I always forget the name. Uh, it's interesting to watch these late night shows no. without an audience, without the laughter, without the sort of feedback back yeah. and forth. It's uh, it's different. It takes a lot getting used to. I mean, I think it's still good. The content's good, but... Oh, yeah, they're still doing funny interviews. You realize how much you kind of rely on the laugh track or the audience laughter right. and how that cues, cues you uh-huh. in, right? Seems true in the classroom. Yeah, that's right. True. That's yeah. right. Uh, although uh, we're doing uh, PBL with some of the students, and since those groups are not too large, we still get the same sure. back and effect, forth. Yeah, yeah, because we're doing them by Zoom. And that's you're going on Monday, right? Uh, Tuesday, I think, oh, is Tuesday. Uh, our first case. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Good luck. Thank you, sir. All right. Other than that, uh, how how is everyone's uh, family doing? Yeah. Quarantine the kids are going insane. <laughs> the kids yet? are the kids are going. They're driving me insane. We uh, my little one lost his first tooth yesterday. So oh, fun time. Tooth fairy came and how much? Generous. Yeah. Well, so here's here's real quick a thing. He um, he did have a cavity and has had teeth removed, which he did receive. Okay. His first floor. So okay. it was just three quarters. His first one was a Lego kit. I don't know how. Ooh. The Tooth Fairy carries a Lego fit, Lego kit around, but but she does. Well, it's like when Santa goes around and del- delivers how many millions and billions exactly. of presents. I mean, every, every year, uh, every year never fails. Finds a way. Finds a way. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I've been uh, zooming uh, with my uh, siblings every once in a while, mm-hmm. and um, they're also going insane with the kids at home. I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, well, I think a lot of parents are discovering. Uh, how much work teachers did in classrooms to, yeah. you know, uh, keep up with these kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's insane. And my wife's been homeschooling our kids, and they do have lesson plans to get through, but then they have extra things that they do, and she's trying to keep them on a routine, and it's, it's difficult. I was going to ask you, my uh, 
sister was saying something along the lines of uh, the work that they've been given by the school does not cover the whole, you know what I mean? It doesn't cover the whole day. Like the kids are getting done with their work faster, much, much faster. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if that's the case with your pretty school much, district. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. In fact, even with the extra work I think that we have built in, they're, they're usually, if they're on task, they're done before noon. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. I, I think that says a lot about about the kids. I mean, maybe it's repetition throughout the day. I don't know. I'm not going to judge. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I, I know. But I'm, it's, I'm it's just wondering. Said, like, you know, if you can get through it, but are they really retaining it? Sure, know. sure. Matthew's busting up the the reading online, so he's okay. he's clearly getting it. But I don't know. My uh, nieces and nephews FaceTimed me yesterday to show me their a uh, butterfly experiment. They had caterpillars, and oh wow! Now they've turned into uh, they're in their little chrysalis because uh, they're down in Florida, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it's a little cold up here for that. That's that's later. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. Cool. And uh, soon they'll have butterflies. They're super excited about it. I, I'm more excited than the yeah, kids. Yeah, that's just reminding me. I have a kid at home, and I should order those when I get home. You should. Yeah, yeah you should. should. Yeah. And then okay. We'll, and then we'll uh, we'll FaceTime you. No, we won't. We won't. All right. So what do we got today? April 3rd. Uh, we've got a birthday, April 3rd, 1934. Uh, Fauna, do you want to tell us about Jane Goodall? So Jane Goodall was an English primatologist and anthropologist, uh, most famous for going into the wild for many years to observe chimpanzees in their natural environment. Right? Decades so, even, yeah. Yeah. Very and famous. she's widely considered to be the world's foremost expert on chimpanzees. And she first went to Tanzania in 1960 at the Gombe Stream National Park. And she spent close to 60 years um, in a study of social and family interactions of wild chimpanzees. So pretty famous. And I mean, she is pretty she's famous, yeah. Yeah, done famous. a lot of other things, but uh, founder of the Jane Goodall Institute that focuses on global wildlife and environmental conservation. And she um, also, uh, what, she founded the Roots and Shoots program that focuses on getting youth involved in environmental, humanitarian, and conservation issues and concerns. Yeah. So she's done a decent amount of work, probably mm-hmm. the most significant work in terms of conservation and in mar- environmental uh, issues. That is correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was reading up on her, apparently she's one of only three individuals uh, who, whatever she got her PhD from, I think it was Oxford or something like that, who had gone on to get or were allowed to get their PhDs without having a bachelor's degree first. Oh, wow. Oh, I yeah. that. And uh, it was, uh, she, she went back to get her education effectively after she had started uh, this work. She had pretty much uh, almost zero training when she went into the wild to do this. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Learning as you go. That's right. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the... Oh man, I had a joke, but I'm completely out of it. I didn't forget that. I bought you a coffee Edit, you no, it hasn't. It hasn't kicked in yet. Clearly, it's nitro. Uh, well, this in it, lieu of my joke, we're going to talk about. It is impossible from, to talk about anything else I, at I this mean, point. Yeah, yeah. I, we. I can't focus on any other medical topic than the coronavirus at the moment. Well, and a part of me, when we were getting ready to prepare for this, kind of thought, are we, you know, are we beating a dead horse? But then every single day. There are a multitude of new facts, new avenues, new updates, uh, new treatments, possible new breakthroughs. I don't know if we have it in here, but did you guys see Pitt? Um, Didn't they um, just come out yesterday saying that they might have developed a Uh, vaccine? vaccine? At least in the lab, yeah. So that was a shout out to Pitt for my roots, but um, hail to Pitt. Yeah, hail to Pitt. There we go. Keep in mind, polio vaccine. Uh, also, yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. Keller went to it as well. Keller did. Keller did. Keller. <laughs> All right, so where are we worldwide in terms of numbers? Well, we're looking at a million reported cases. And again, I, I want to stress the reported cases right. because you know that there's a lot of people out there that are sick. Mm-hmm. and Or not. And, and uh, In the U.S., we're just above 250,000 at this moment in time, and that's clearly going to change confirmed by testing confirmed mm-hmm. by testing and uh i think we've talked about this before we think the number in the u.s is easy over a million With i would ask you that are we talking cases or people that are infected i mean it's two different things 
uh, infected with the virus. I mean, what do you clearly? What, you, yeah. By case, I guess what's you your case? I mean, disease, not just asymptomatic infection. Oh no, but actual total infections. Oh, total yeah. infections. Yeah. Easily, I, I'm going to yeah. guess easily over a million. I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing close to two million. Well, and we've also... It's a good guess. And we're going to yeah. have to guesstimate until we find out. And these studies will come out again. You're going to have months and years from now. Exactly. We're going to look to see, hey, you weren't sick. Did you have antibodies? And mm-hmm. it's it's clearly every other infectious disease does the same thing. This one's not any different. Yeah. That's right. It's amazing the anecdotal stories I've been hearing about, you know, people or friends and relatives who have gone in with symptoms and, you know, asked for a test and maybe their influenza test comes back negative and they're told, yeah, um, we're not giving you a test because you don't know anybody who's been sick or you're not in a, you haven't been to a risky location. Sure. Right? Or you're not a healthcare worker. So exactly. in a lot of places where there's a bottleneck for testing, right? So the federal government keeps saying that we're sending a lot of tests out and I tend to believe them. Well, why would they necessarily lie to us about that? Right. Uh, but part of the uh, bottleneck has been uh, getting the staff to do the tests, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Getting the machines to do the tests. Some of the national it's still or state labs, and exactly, right? Yep. So uh, what a lot of places are doing, particularly in New York City right now, is that they're prioritizing healthcare workers and people on the front lines for those testing. Mm-hmm. I, I think as it should. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely no, reasonable. Yeah, when when you have just a small amount of resources right now, you have to prioritize. I mean, yeah. they, they really, they should be, you're marking those for anybody that they deem to be essential. Yeah. I mean, if you're expecting people to work and not practice social distancing or do their best to do it, but... but you better take care of work. You better have a test. Oh, no, no. You take care of them. You protect them as much as you can within your means. So what is the current U.S. death rate? Well, right now it stands at 6,603 at this current moment, and that's a 2.54%, which is much lower than the uh, worldwide, which is at 5.32%. Right. uh, Currently, that's 56,659 deaths. And we did go over in the last episode, for those who want to double check, where some of the other countries uh, and worldwide death rates are and Much numbers higher. of infected and so on Italy is so still forth. over 10%. Italy, yeah. yep. uh, Germany still uh, under 1% or so. Well, did you see, One-ish. I guess they were, an article I read a few days ago said that Germany maybe had better preparedness in terms of number of yep. beds, materials and equipment yep. for treating, you know, all of the people coming in with the symptoms and with the sickness. So that could be, you know, correlated with their very, very low percentage that you just mentioned. Oh, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think from every country that we've uh, crunched their numbers, looked at their statistics, it is obvious that if your healthcare system is not overwhelmed, then you do okay. You can manage. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, you know, people talk about uh, you know, New York City is in the news a lot, right? Yep. The state of New York, they have more than half the cases in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, but... I don't think they're at the point of being overwhelmed yet. I think they're probably a week or two away, maybe. Yeah. Right? But uh, there's this whole, there's there's a few stories in the news where, you know, it's almost Armageddon out there, right? Yeah. Sure, some hospitals in New York City are overwhelmed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some hospitals, there are patients not in rooms, out in the hallway. Yes. Do you think it's being sensationalized? To oh, for bit? sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think New York City is in that category yet. I'm not saying they're not going to get there. Yeah. And I think their governor, Cuomo, is doing a great job of raising the alarm, saying, hey, listen, you know, two weeks from now, this is what we expect we will be at, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think he's doing what he has to do. Well, it's right? better to be to prepare for the yeah. worst, yeah. right? But uh, if you are sick in New York City right now and you need a respirator right now, there's one available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that does not mean that that's going to be the case two weeks from now. Right? Yeah. We can't predict the future. No. No. And I, we can I model. think we're going to see more cases. You yeah. Know, and, uh, again, though, I mean, lethal case, or cases, severe cases that need supportive care. I, yeah. You know, if we keep the, the curve flat like we have done, we should be able In to In some places, to manage, we have, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are looking at uh, – the numbers that are coming out of California or the state of Washington, mm-hmm. where they pretty much shut down everything yeah. even before they had a lot of cases, and their curve looks so much better than ours. Yeah. 
So much well, better. I mean, that preemptive measure was yeah. definitely important. I think we're going to look back and in a few years, we're going to be able to maybe go state by state and location by location and see what did this location do compared to this location yeah. and numbers of cases, deaths, so on and so forth. A lot of potential studies here and hopefully can be used in the future for another possible outbreak. But you know what amazes me is we knew that from the 1918 pandemic and how different cities responded to that, yet not every state sort of got on board with that immediate social distancing, right? Yeah. I, th- I think that's going to that's gonna cost lives, obviously. But I mean, well, a gr- a greater- you, you can't, I mean, where do you assign blame? Like, I don't, I, I don't think yeah, that's, no that, you know, exactly. Yeah, no, there is, isn't, absolutely. Is, we're doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. There's no blame to go around. I exactly. Mean, yeah. It's, it's, this is something new. I mean, you talk about 1918, that was a different world back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. Right? There were different virus too. What's that? Different virus too. Yeah. Well, different virus, sure. Yeah. But, 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 also, but also a, a different world. People, there weren't as many people. There wasn't as much transportation. In terms of travel, was as, yes. Was as Traveling was something. a bit We'd more limited. We've been saying for years something like this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, I, this is not a doomsday virus. No. No, it's not. But... No. Um, you know, we hold, it's, it's we hold, we're overwhelming your system virus. It, that's pretty much it. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of those worried well out there still too, that are, you know, oh my God, I think I'm going to be sick. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're eating up some of those resources too. And understandably, but it, it, it weighs and drains on the system. I agree. Honestly, I think we've all discussed amongst ourselves. And I've even talked with my wife about this is the fact that what is the world going to look like in a few months or in a few years once this has oh, been cleared and things go back to normal, right? I mean, you're going to find a lot of things that were here before this hit that are no longer existent. I just read that, what is it, AMC Theaters, um, their credit rating got downgraded and that's a huge financial blow. Well, I, I mean, can't pay their bills, yeah, like, sure. Yeah, and I mean, just all of these small businesses – um, I mean, this has such wide ranging effects that we don't have the time to go over yep. all of them, but it's, a, sure. it's just insane to think about. I think one of the most important things and important lessons that we're going to take away uh, in terms of preparedness as a country mm-hmm. is our, honestly, weakness of depending on other countries for supplies and medicine. That's true. I'm going to be interested how that changes. That, that I mean, do we know? become more, you know, insular and not isolated, I guess, but more self-reliant. And, and I think we, I think we should. I think so. I too. think this is a huge weakness right now that yeah. our medicines come from China and yep. India. Our mm-hmm. PPE comes from other countries, right? Yeah. We produce some of it here, sure. And, uh, you know, to give credit where credit is due, a lot of our free market economics has kicked in, right? Our private industry has kicked in. The president is starting to order some of these factories and companies to start producing things we need, right? Mm-hmm. All of that is great. Yeah. But I think in terms of our national security, this is a huge weakness. Uh, and it's no one's fault, right? This has been going on since the 70s, 80s, right? When, when, how, how early did we start sending jobs overseas, right? Like yeah. way back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, you know, this is not this administration or the previous one or the one before that. No. This is an accumulation of decades. Oh, no, no. This has been going on for years and yeah, years. Decades. Long time. And, uh, this has to be well, a teachable moment, though. I mean, like yeah. we tell our students, if we don't learn from this and make changes once this is passed to beef up our healthcare system, become more self-reliant, uh, what's going to happen in a few decades or a hundred years when this happens again? Just keep in mind, self-reliance is more expensive. Because, because it is. I mean, that's why these jobs are out there and not here. That's why the jobs left. We create things over (laughs) here and send the jobs overseas. And that was supposed to be changing. But you need to make it worthwhile for the companies to come back because the government can't mandate. I mean, right now, (laughs) they have the power to mandate. With the Defense Act, yeah. yeah, Yeah. They can't mandate companies to, to do yeah. X, Y, or Z. In fact, yeah. that's yeah. Uh, It goes against our ethos. Yeah. Yeah. It goes yeah. against no, our no, ethos. Exactly right. But I think at that's some a point... That's point, yeah. This I think, whole self-reliance. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think at some point we ought to realize as a country that being a strong country that can defend itself is not just militarily, which we do 100% domestically, right? Mm-hmm. All of that is here. Great manufacturing companies, etc. want Biggest military in the world, biggest spending, most powerful, et cetera, X, Y, Z, right? But I think we ought to add to that equation, not just military, but clearly this sort of disease preparedness. We're not, I mean, let's let's go all the way sinister with this. And I'm not saying that this virus is it, but 
let's say, I don't know, five years from now, there's something a bioterrorism attack, yeah. right? Like, mm. we're, we're clearly not ready for something like that. And I think these are lessons that need to be had. Well, you should prepare for the worst. I think yeah. that yeah. use these kind of holes or weak areas, um, bolster them, enhance them, make them better, and prepare as if, okay, in 10 years from now, if something like in that movie Contagion, if something hit that was much deadlier and much more virulent, Okay, what would we do in that situation for an emergency response? That's what we should be preparing for. You know, one of the, one of the big uh, parts of a public health preparedness plan is practice. Yeah, and that's that, I mean, how do you do that on a on a national or global level? You don't. I yeah, mean, it, it's like war games. Maybe this, <laughs> maybe is, this it. is it. Yeah, and uh, not not to to downplay it all, but it, it's this is a good practice because yeah. if it was something like rhinovirus or the uh, you know, a new strain of flu or even something as, as, as simple as MERS, a different coronavirus had a much higher mortality rate. Yeah. Oh, it would be. Whew. Oh, if this had been MERS, we would be screwed. Yeah. I mean, you're talking and about a third of very, people very, dying, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, terrifying. It's already scary, but that would yeah. be just terrifying in yeah. so mass panic and calamity. 2% mortality rate. I mean. Yeah. So, uh, so. speaking of. Mm-hmm. Estimated deaths. So current estimates for uh, deaths in the U in the U.S. are in the range of 100 to 200,000 deaths on pretty much the most conservative models. And this assumes uh, all measures are taken, social distancing, isolation, right. quarantine, exactly. And compliance with these for months. What, what do we think of these numbers? I mean, that was a pretty stark admission by... The U.S. government this week, yeah. right? Uh, but I mean, it's. I'm, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that there's more concern over this, and that uh, there's a people are taking it seriously, right? I think that will instill some concern in a lot of the constituents and the American people. Um, I think that the numbers are probably low. Um, yeah, based I think on, they're on based the line, on how this is going. I, and I the hope model. I'm wrong. Right? No, of course, I'd, I'd want to be wrong. And this is a model, and these are just estimates, right? Estimates can be wrong, either too low or too high. I'm hoping that this estimate is too high. But, I mean, based on this and based on how long it took the country as a whole and states as a whole to start really isolating and giving out these direct orders, I feel like we haven't, we haven't yet seen the worst. So Yeah, I think some states took it more seriously than others, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Uh and, 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 I mean, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But. Yeah. And as we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, they are seeing some of the at-risk populations, like what are some of the other comorbidities, um, what are the at-risk, uh, what other uh, disorders or diseases um, that people have who are being more significantly affected by the COVID sickness. Uh, speaking of comorbidities, uh, I don't know if you guys are sort of parsing out death rates uh, per state or like per area of state. Mm. So our national death rate is about two and a half percent or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louisiana death rate is twice as much. Jeez. And uh, part of the reason for that, uh, they're thinking, is a massive amount of comorbidities, higher rates mm-hmm. of obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. Yeah. And uh, I think when all is said and done, uh, this we're, we're going to see a lot of disparities in terms of uh, death rates in high versus low income societies or populations, uh, maybe uh, different ethnicities as well, remains to be seen. But I, there's definitely varying death rate across the nation as well yeah. in the U.S. Cool. Cool. Anything uh, else uh, you want to chit-chat about before we answer some uh, quick answers, quick questions? I think we covered it pretty well in terms of the background and just the general discussion we had. Yeah, it'll probably come up again anyway. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure. And, uh, you know, our our advice remains that if, uh, and again, we're not medical doctors, right? Uh, But if you have symptoms and you feel sick, uh, stay at home. Yeah. Uh, isolate yourself, do not spread it, and uh, try not to go outside at mm-hmm. all. If you must go outside, uh, wear a mask so you don't infect other people. Yeah. And if you have shortness of breath that is severe, by all means, call 911. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's there's no reason to... I think uh, the same stuff we talked about yeah, in the last podcast. This out or, yeah. Change. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, some quick things here. Hydroxychloroquine, where are we on that? 
So the FDA has allowed emergency use of hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine phosphate. And based on anecdotal clinical data and in vitro data, um, we know some of the side effects, but uh, no proper study at this point has proven um, beyond a shadow of a doubt that it can be effective as a treatment, right? For COVID-19. Yes, for yeah. COVID-19. Yeah. And um, what it, is it European regulators have resisted um, and are still waiting on more concrete data before they'll allow the use of um, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine phosphate? You know, ironically, the first uh, evidence of chloroquine use, whatever, came out of France, right? That's right. Mm. And yeah, the Europeans have resisted so far uh, because they want to wait on more. It's, it's like the reverse thalidomide here, you know, where mm -hmm. thalidomide, I think we discussed that in the last episode, maybe, but it's, maybe. Uh, it's uh, you know, the Europeans used it to help pregnant women sleep and turned out to be a a teratogenic drug, one that would induce birth defects. And, mm -hmm. you know, here you have this, but we've used hydroxychloroquine for decades, decades yeah. Right? Yeah. to yeah. treat malaria. And um, so we know the we side know, effects. And, and yeah. we use, we, we still use uh, chloroquine at whopper doses to manage patients with uh, inflammatory Lupus diseases. And so, yeah. Yeah. so we, you know, the doses that they're looking at are much lower than the concentrations are given to patients with those yeah. autoimmune diseases. So, you know, the side effects should be much lower. I, I'm surprised that the Europeans aren't jumping on this, knowing what we already know about that. It's not a new drug. Yeah. It's a yeah, point. there's, there's, I mean, so there's no harm in terms of, the, we already know the side effects, right? True. So, and uh, again, the gold standard is, uh, you know, a blind uh, controlled study, et cetera, sure. but we don't have time for that. That's right? the thing. It's a big time crunch yeah. and you can't, have this be an extended testing, you know, timeline. Exactly, and and and, and if this uh, improves patient symptoms by one day, then use it. Then why yeah. not, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of an emergency use, yeah, it was, I'm, it's I'm not, not advocating. Really, it's not really. Um, it, it, it's not being used to treat the patient. That's supportive care. We're letting the virus mm -hmm. run its course. Yeah. But the, the the one small study out of France showed that. Uh, hydroxychloroquine plus, I believe it was azithromycin, azithromycin yeah. together reduced the, the uh, viral shedding time to right. three or four days, mm -hmm. right. uh, which means people are less infectious. So it's still having a good effect. Yeah. But clearly these these are people that, that are coming in with, with severe symptoms probably. I mean, right. These are extreme diagnosed. cases. They're yeah, not we're using not. them with like people that can manage the disease. Yeah, on these are minimal cases. Home, yeah. You're not going to get chloroquine. No, yeah, exactly. No. These are extreme cases. Now, it's important to – oh, I'm sorry. I cut go you ahead. I was just going to say it's important to consider and really think about what a reduction in viral load means, means yeah. right? So does that mean with reduced viral load that you're going to then have reduced uh, clinical symptom expression? I mean, who really knows? Where's we the threshold there? Yeah, exactly. We don't know that. Particularly, Perhaps. Particularly, yeah, I mean, but, I mean if, you're, if you're two weeks into having symptoms and we're reducing your viral load at this point, yeah. And is it worth it or right. is it going but to be if effective? you're less yeah. infectious to other people, it might be worth it. It's very beneficial in that case, right. yeah. All right, Dr. Keller, how about updates on some other drugs? They were testing some of the HIV drugs on this. Well, what do we know so far on that? Yeah, so um, they didn't work. They didn't do anything. So uh, they were trying uh, Calitro, which was, um, I think, two protease inhibitors, Lopanavir and Ritonavir, and didn't do a thing. Uh, they tried that new Ebola drug that was developed, and it 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 it's showing some promise, but I guess the remdesivir. Yeah, the remdesivir. But I I saw one report on it. I don't know if you saw more than that. Like one. Yeah, there's not a lot of data. Report. Yet. There's yeah. not a lot of data. And that's so the problem. Man. Saying it worked, and and they were doing that in vitro too in yeah. some of those studies. Yeah. So, um, of course, you know, chloroquine. It's uh, that wasn't a big study either. No, so. No. Um, it's just that chloroquine you can make by the bucket full so cheap right. and make it so readily available. Whereas something like rem remdesivir, I'm going to guess, is manufactured in the lab. is going to be because uh, like drugs are and oh, it's expensive. Um, and they've tried interferon beta, which we've used um, to treat some anti-inflammatory disease in the past. Uh, but they're really in vitro data. And again, that's a very expensive drug to give. It's recombinant and 
it's 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 kind of expensive. So I'm rooting for Chloroquine. That's yeah. all I'm saying here. <laughs> you know, that's we, your horse in the race. We know a lot about it. It's cheap. It's readily available. If it if it really can help reduce this outbreak. Uh, by all means. Yeah, by, no, by no, all by means. means. Let's, let's Put your it. effort behind it. I was just reading up a little bit more on the uh, University of Pittsburgh, and I guess when I first heard about that, I was surprised how quickly that came to be, right? Like they already had this breakthrough in terms of a potential I vaccine. I do believe they were working on it before. They were though, working so with other like, coronaviruses. Yeah, right. And they are yeah. like, oh, we can uh-huh. do this. I mean, so they have a, they have a nice center now. Yeah, they built, yeah, they research. Yeah, they built um, on the earlier coronavirus epidemic, SARS in 2003 and then MERS in 2014, which we'll be talking about before. But I guess they're using, they studied mice and they were utilizing fingertip-sized patches that may be able to produce antibodies that are specific to SARS-CoV-2. So that's pretty, uh, I mean, it's nice to see some hometown representation. I don't care where the vaccine would come from, but I'm biased. And I like the fact that something was so quick to be produced and... It shows that this research yeah. and study yeah. uh, paid off. And I hope whoever ends up uh, uh, producing a vaccine does what Jonas Salk did, which is refuse to patent it and give it for free to the world. So, oh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I believe, there'll be more than one oh, I'm sure. vaccine yeah. out I'm of sure. this. So uh, what about, uh, someone asked us, what about convalescent plasma? What does that mean? They keep hearing uh, that in the news. You know, we've, we've used convalescent plasma plasma in a lot of different outbreaks. Ebola is the last one. Uh, but basically, you take uh, pla- we take blood from somebody who's had the disease and recovered, mm-hmm. and you isolate their antibodies, and you stick those antibodies in somebody who's typically very sick. We This is, this is a pretty detailed procedure. Um, it's not unlimited. I mean, I guess until you bleed your host dry. Yeah, right. Uh, right? And, and Nobody's going to volunteer for that, I don't think. Do. But basically, the uh, the patient has developed antibodies once they've recovered from the disease, the, the donor, if you will. And, and so we can isolate so much antibody and you can um, then, then inject that into your patient and hopefully that will uh, protect them. Keep in mind, there's different types of antibodies, and without going into immunology in too much detail, the type that you really want to protect people is um, is called IgA. It's mucosal immunity. This is, after all, a respiratory pathogen, and it's it's not quite as easy to give that mm-hmm. as it is to give blood antibodies like IgG. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of. I mean, there's some. Uh, there is virus in the blood, right? And you know, I, yes, IgG would work against that, but. Uh, but you're right. At the mucosal surface, uh, you want IgA. So it won't, it won't prevent somebody from becoming infected, but it may help prevent severe disease from getting worse. True. Okay. And True. so that's what yeah, it makes sense. At. And uh, we also want to uh, remind people that this does not necessarily not come with uh, side effects. Giving some somebody type of risk. Uh, yeah, sure. giving somebody uh, IV immunoglobulin mm-hmm. comes with hypersensitivities. And yep. Sure. sure. All right, mutations. What about mutations? Will this virus mutate? At this point, it seems like it would be highly unlikely. Um, there are some and, and by will it mutate, people are worried about it mutating to get worse, become, become more, more virulent, virulent etc. Exactly. Um, if anything, um, odds are, and it is more likely that it could mutate to become less virulent and less deadly than the opposite. Particularly if it establishes itself within the population and becomes seasonal, it is highly likely to become weaker. Exactly. I think the current scientific consensus is that it's likely to mutate to become a little bit weaker as well, time goes on. What, that's what usually happens. So so yeah. with these RNA viruses like like coronavirus, they have a, an enzyme that they use to make new virus, and, and we don't have that enzyme. It's uh, uh, it takes RNA and turns it into RNA, but it doesn't have what we DNA. call DNA. RNA to DNA. RNA to DNA. You mean RNA to RNA? It's an RNA virus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not a retrovirus. So it's going to turn RNA into RNA. Let's not get uh, strands or anything. But the mm. point is, it doesn't have what we call proofreading activity. So it, it, it's error prone. So when it's, much. when it's making these new RNA strands, it's um, it's introducing mutations, which typically kills the virus. This is known as a drift, and, and all RNA viruses have that potential. So no grammar check. 
Snow grammar check. That's pretty much what it is, right? No grammar check. I think it's the way with misspellings. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. How about uh, dose and ilac inoculum size? So this came about because there's a, a bunch of stories out there saying that healthcare workers are dying at a higher rate. Mm. And I don't think that's true. Are they? Uh, and I, I couldn't find the evidence okay, for good. that. I, I think that's, that yeah, it must be. I haven't well, seen any data. Out there. That's all anecdotal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever I, happened with the ibuprofen thing? Are we still saying no ibuprofen? No, there's a bunch of studies now that say it doesn't matter. Right. So, so yeah. there's a lot of crap out yeah. there, and we do our due well, diligence there's still on current research things. Exactly. I mean, some people and some studies are saying yes, it works in terms of. Uh, look at the mask debate that we're going to talk about briefly. Right. Um, so people are saying masks can be helpful. Other people are saying only if you're symptomatic. There's some conflicting evidence out there. So what we found for dose inoculum size in terms of uh, healthcare workers is, although we have clear evidence that they are more likely to get infected because they're on the front lines. Studix exposure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They are, uh, data so far indicate that they suffer equal intensity or severity of symptoms. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just because you're working uh, on the front lines does not mean you uh, you may get a, a higher dose. But so far, we have not seen that dose matters in term, in people. Yeah. Now, uh, can you prove uh, in a lot of mouse studies in the lab uh, sort of a dose response? Yeah. Sure. You yes, can. You can. yes, you can. Look, and those <laughs> mouse, and most mouse studies, they, they give them a whopper dose, like oh, yeah. 100 times the amount of virus that a person would Much more see. than like, physiologically well, look, relevant. It died. Well, yeah. of course it did. <laughs> no, no, it's what, like a shotgun approach. One yeah. of my uh, favorite sayings from uh, uh, about like uh, in vivo studies comes from uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, Vincent Recaniello. He's a virologist out mm. of Columbia, pretty famous. And one of the things that he always says is uh, uh, mice lie and uh, monkeys exaggerate, mm. right? And uh, it, that's true. Just because it worked in the lab does not mean it's going to work in true. people. All right. How about uh, PPE reuse slash sterilization? That's recommended if the PPE materials are lacking very yeah. low, as we're seeing evidence of, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, said that we have to do this, but we're running out of things, right? And um, if, if your supplies are limited, by all means, try to sterilize or reuse your PPE. I think that's what they're recommending, too, in terms of, like, uh, grocery shopping, is that people and shoppers who are bringing in, you know, their own bags, right, that it might not be a bad idea to wash and sterilize those and make sure that— Although if you use it once a week, the virus is dead. Yeah, most likely. True, but they still banned them at Giant Eagle. Oh, is they banned right? them, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. That's what, my, that's what my wife said. Well, I mean, I guess. She said, go take these. She said, oh, no, they, they don't want them anymore. Oh. What are states that have yeah. banned plastic bags doing? Oh, that's a good point. Well, this is just our Chinese. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right? Because think yeah, about it. Right? There are some states that have banned. You'd have uh, to go back. Cardboard. Hey, yeah. Aldi's does it. You bring your own cardboard yeah. boxes. That's in right. And yeah. Raising Aldi's. Uh, Aldi's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, have, they don't give you bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, how about. Uh, end of social distancing and quarantine. People has, have asked, about, is it, do we run a risk if we end it early? Are we going to see a second peak? So uh, what's what the current about? date up until April 30th, right? That's the current Which I think we'll get pushed back, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I mean, you're already seeing a lot of things being either delayed or canceled for summer months at this point. So in terms of mass gatherings, we're not going to yeah. be going anywhere in terms of a mass gathering until... Maybe the fall. Uh, AAI probably... finally canceled their meeting. Oh, okay. American Association of Immunologists. So I will Ours not be. Co- <laughs> you Yours won't hasn't be... been canceled. I haven't, I haven't received an email. It's a smaller meeting. It's so. in June, yeah. though. Like right? AAI is huge. Oh, AAI is thousands. Yeah, of you're people. talking about like 100 to 200 people tops. At this uh, so and it is in June, right? It's at the end of June. End of June. So. Okay, so we'll see. Hopefully still, by then. I still will... have a feeling by then things are going to start to return back to normal. Pick back up, maybe. Um, yeah. And again, uh, we'll still have cases in June. Yeah. Of course, of course we will. But We've, but but it won't be if this we mass the hysteria and everybody. You know, yeah. Think about these two hundred fifty thousand people that didn't die. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to get this again. I know there's no. there's reports, but they're not reports. They're, they're reports. They're not data. Yeah. I haven't seen right. any data that says you can get reinfected with this. Mm-hmm. At least not within a few months to a year. I think. I mean, we know that you are immune from reinfection. We just don't know how long that immunity is. Actually. That's true. Yeah, we yeah. just but don't it won't know that be right away. I, yeah. I heard some reports out of China that people that had it were getting symptoms again. Mm-hmm. Well, it, they were never definitively diagnosed in the first place. Right. Right. Yeah. And, flu. Uh huh. 
And people are saying, oh, uh, some recovered patients in China tested positive again. And I keep telling people the test does not test for virus. It tests for viral RNA. Mm -hmm. And these are two different things. Just because you have lingering RNA in your lungs or in your nasal area, whatever, because your body is still clearing Mm -hmm. that out. Does Doesn't not mean, mean you, you have actual virus. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. And uh, the other thing, uh, I don't know where you guys fall on this. I think based on what is happening in Europe mm-hmm. and based on what is happening in the US, mm. and I tend to believe the numbers coming out of Europe and the US, now I have zero confidence in any data coming out of China in terms of numbers. Yeah. I mean, zero confidence. Well, we know that they did a cover-up. We know. They, they did cover up. Yeah, yes, we knew yes. that. And, and, and so there's no, without having an actual known number of people, how you do a case control study or how are you going to come No, no, it would be impossible, especially now that it's under a cloud of suspicion and they're inauthentic with their reporting. I mean, yeah, right? look, look yes, at how the numbers are to trust them. in all these countries yeah. with severe measures. So mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking they had t- 10 times as oh, many at least. cases in China. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> oh, at least. I, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I would I, agree with you. I, I, I do not believe any of their numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look at some of their measures, too, again, just as an example, because I'm a movie guy. Um, they opened up, they put out an order to open up the theaters again, what, about a week and a half ago? And within a few days or even a few hours, they decided to shut them back down again. So they started to come out of this quarantine and yep. social distancing, um, these measures, and they had to go right back. So... I'll be interested when everything fully opens over there and what uh, their final data, what yeah. that looks like. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, one other question that got sent out to us. So what is ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, and effectively how are patients dying from uh, this disease? It's basically what's called a cytokine storm in the lungs. So you're getting a lot of inflammatory cells coming out of the blood into the the lung area and and they're active and they're excited and they want to kill this virus and and or bacteria and they end up hyper secreting it's like an over response. It's an over response. Over, yes. Yeah, but yeah. but it, it it's the same thing that would happen in, in let's say if you got a splinter it's just in the wrong place. Right. Right? It's the same exact thing. And so these cells are coming out and it's it's an appropriate response from from our immune cell standpoint. But where it's occurring in the lungs causes a lot of damage. Yeah. So there's a lot of inflammation and damage. And then you got a lot of uh, water, basically fluid coming from your bloodstream into the lungs. And that's leading to uh, a lethal Well, and think about what cytokines do as well, you know, affecting um, the hypothalamus, the set point, the temperature control system of the hypothalamus, causing a fever. You get blood pressure changes, heart rate changes. Um, The heart and the lungs have to work even harder. It's very um, tough for the body to keep up with that. And if it lasts for too long, uh, you know, what is your body going to do? It's going to be more detrimental than beneficial. So we have a physiological standpoint. Oh, then we have oh. the actual oh. lethal immunological oh. standpoint. So, so uh, it's the <laughs> never-ending war between physiology and immunology. Well, it's it's not a never-ending war. We we, we I know don't think you've won. No, no, no. no. We're just, so, exactly. Maybe for we're just letting you play <laughs> oh, right now. <laughs> play. So uh, anecdotally, I think you you uh, you both will find this interesting. Uh, uh, Evidence uh, has started to come out in New York indicating that in those patients that are critically ill and or are dying, there's a higher number of neutrophils in the lung than there are lymphocytes. And for those that are sort of surviving, there's more lymphocytes than neutrophils. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. A huge amount of sense, absolutely. Yeah, so, so which gets Lymphocytes back being to, T-cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just for our listeners, T-cells... Are, are more uh, consequential to fight off viral infections like mm. this, whereas neutrophils typically respond to bacteria. But it, it and they're be, suicide killers; they'll kill everything inside. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Their their job is just to, to wipe things out yeah. And, yeah. And, and just clean it up later. Yeah. But yeah. but um, and they do a great job with things like staph infections and strep infections. Sure. But but patients that have a reduced immunity, typically that starts with their T cells, mm-hmm. and so the body's responding 
it's the best it can with neutrophils, yeah. and that and that's why we're seeing probably more deaths in the older population because their T cells aren't as responsive, mm-hmm. and the neutrophils make up the difference but yet cause more damage. Yeah. And this overall sort of cytokine storm where you have an over-exuberant immune response, mm-hmm. think about lack of T-cells. That also means lack of regulatory T-cells. Mm-hmm. And Tregs, regulatory yeah. T-cells, dampen immune, shut down immune system. Yeah. So is, with no breaks, yeah. it just yeah. It yeah. becomes over that's, that's what happens. You have an immune yep. system with no breaks. All right, moving on. Uh, we are at... Roughly 45 minutes, so we don't want to go over an hour. No, no. I was just going to say a quick, quick update on masks. Um, Basically, with that, um, different officials are recommending be judicious and be uh, use your best judgment. If you're going into an area where it's very crowded and it's a high-risk area, you know, a lot of people around, you may want to consider wearing a mask. You should not be hoarding masks. You should not be buying too many masks, of course. And of course, if you're uh, showing symptoms, then you want to stay home. Stay home. You don't have to worry about the mask. Stay home. Right. So part of the reason the CDC is maybe shifting its recommendation on masks is because now it's very evident that 15, 20 percent of people are asymptomatic. Yes. These are people that have no idea they have the virus. So it's almost a case of better to be safe than sorry if you want to wear the mask. Well, the, the idea is not necessarily to protect yourself but the the transmission exactly is to get those asymptomatic people maybe to wear masks and to stop unknowingly spreading it right they don't know they're doing it it's not their fault right Uh, but again uh social distancing uh is is key here just stay at home unless you absolutely have to leave right and even you know how to use a face mask properly right if you're not using it properly or if you're misusing it um, it's going to be ineffective. That's that's why I think everybody wearing masks is a ridiculous idea. Think about it. Uh, I mean, uh, we've seen it out when we've gone out to public. People will remove the mask to scratch a nose, or they'll put the mask defeating on, the purpose exactly yep. on their mouth, but not on their nose and mouth. Right. Yeah. Also, remember your eyes are not covered with a mask. Right. True. I mean, there's a risk of infection through there. Mm-hmm. And if you have a mask, you're breathing into it. That's a high humidity area, mm-hmm. and then you come in contact. Let's say with a virus, you scratch your nose, whatever you get on your mask. This this is going to make it worse. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how to use these masks, right? So, again, uh, if you're symptomatic, stay home. And uh, if you must leave the house, uh, just just stay away from people. Keep your distance, etc. Yeah, I agree. So, anything else? People that I saw a bunch of silly videos about, uh, like how to disinfect your groceries or leave them out for days before you bring them yeah, in. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Uh, you're running the risk of spoiled food and getting sick in that way. It's like trading in one. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how something like an outbreak logic like falls this apart. removes people's common sense. Yeah, logic it's falls insane. apart. Oh, you know what? I'm supposed to store this in the fridge unless mm-hmm. there's a COVID-19 outbreak. <laughs> I'm going to put it all in the garage. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I left my milk out for three days, you know, and out on the porch. And it it, it tasted a little, you know, differently. But, I mean, you just put some chocolate syrup (laughs) in it and it tastes fine. (laughs) And as we're going to learn today, if we ever get to our giant microbe section. We will. um, The uh, microbe from last week is about leaving food out. Right. And how you shouldn't do it. And how you should not do it because you may die. But you know what amazes me uh, in a lot of some of the misinformation out there, some of it comes from uh, people with professional degrees. Like that whole like grocery video, wash your gross. This is how to disinfect your entire gross. This came from like a medical doctor. Yeah. And I'm watching and thinking like, my God, this guy's an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, Clorox wipes that work for everything. <laughs> yeah. I bleach all my food. <laughs> Hey, bleaching does work. It, it, adds, it adds a different aftertaste, but uh, so, it works. <laughs> where, uh, where are we in terms of, um, because I, I don't want us to drag on and on, right? So where are we in terms of uh, coronavirus infections, right? So people get coronavirus infections all the time. They, they cause the common cold, et right. so on and so forth. But where are we compared to the first SARS outbreak and the MERS outbreak, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, in terms of mortality rates, why is this different? Why were the, the other ones worse? How did we contain the other ones too? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I, so they, both the, the SARS-CoV-1, which was the original SARS 
in what, 2002, 2003? Three, yeah. Uh-huh. Three, four. And the MERS that was around 2010. 2012, I think. 2012. Oh, yeah. Uh, 2010 was the flu. Yeah. 2012. They, um, they were both, I believe, had higher mortality rates. Uh, much less people were involved. And they, they did burn themselves out. Mm-hmm. There was documented person-to-person transmission with both. That was, yeah. Just like now. And it's transmitted through so, respiratory droplets. Correct. It same was thing. all the yes. same thing. So that just that boggles my mind as to why now. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a couple theories. I am not a conspiracy theorist. Well, let's hear them. Well, my one theory is, and it, it goes along with what we just discussed about the number of original cases out of China. People have been traveling around spreading this for months. Oh, I agree. Yeah, no, and so that's definitely, one reason. It definitely hit earlier. When the first SARS came out, they were wearing masks and travel got shut down right away. Right away. Yep. And, and they, they took it seriously. With MERS, it was evident right away. Mm-hmm. And so there was again. They shut down travel to to most of the Middle East, uh-huh. and there was that secondary cases in North Korea with MERS. But mm-hmm. a lot of the cases were in Saudi Arabia with MERS. Most of them were. Well, there was yeah. a secondary small outbreak in North Korea, mm-hmm. or no, excuse me, South Korea, I believe. Nothing happens in North yeah, Korea. Nothing that we know. <laughs> of. We'll never know. They, they have no disease. They they they, they, they they are all yeah. overfed and you know not hungry yeah, and right. yeah, absolutely. So South Korea and then well, they, um, the democracy blooms. <laughs> here's here's what might surprise uh, some of you. Right now with COVID nineteen, um, uh, uh, as of March six, excuse me, it's a hundred thousand plus cases. We know it's a lot more than that. Oh no, that's mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 this table is a bit old. Now yeah, we're so, over a million cases yeah, with yeah, about five percent death. Five percent. So five uh, percent, and and that sounds like a big deal, but with SARS at the end of July of two thousand three, it was eight thousand cases, so mm-hmm. a much smaller number with almost a ten percent mortality rate. Yeah, so yeah. double that. Right, and the MERS that ended in January of uh, oh no, that's, that's well, the numbers are as, ge- um, as of which January. ended I believe in twenty thirteen yeah. was like the last, but actually it might have been the fall of twenty twelve. Was twenty five hundred cases, so much less, with a thirty four percent mortality rate. So that's one insane. incredibly, that's insane. That's incredibly yeah. high. Yeah. Now put why, it all, all in perspective. Went, yeah. But put it in perspective. There's more people that have died from COVID nineteen because there's more people that have severe disease. Right. Yeah. So what is unique about this virus compared to those two viruses? They're all coronaviruses. Mm-hmm. So well, think my, about. Go ahead. I was just going to say the situation, if you compare SARS to COVID-19, um, think about in, uh, in central China and Wuhan, um, the, the travel out of China has, what, effectively doubled in the past decade, and urban population numbers and densities have That's tripled. Yeah. So in terms of just transmission of this thing, it's yes. become much higher in the past 10 years and especially since SARS hit. Also, I think because the Chinese government hid this thing from yep. the rest no, of the world for two months. And it was decision. business as usual, Absolutely. which means a yep. lot of travel in and out. Uh-huh. I, mean, I, I think we had cases in the U.S. in December. Oh, yep. I'm sure we did. It probably went misdiagnosed yep. as the flu, mm-hmm. right? And they said, oh, this person, you know, yep. and, and they probably, we had probably lethal cases. Oh, no, no. We definitely well. had cases in the U.S. in December. But yeah. until you start looking for it and have a test. Mm-hmm. It's and a no. so that Because, look, with the with the data that we have out from the original SARS and from the MERS outbreak, the transmission incubation period is all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only thought I can have is that there was more distribution for a longer period of time in the population for this virus. And kept under wraps. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, to put it in perspective for everyone, right, and again, we don't want to compare this to the flu. It's not the flu. It's a different virus, etc. H1N1 swine flu, right, that uh, outbreak in 2009 to 2010. Isn't that amazing? That was right when I started grad school, effectively. And that seemed like a worst-case scenario. I remember hearing that Duquesne might. Estimated cases close to a billion, right? But a mortality rate of 0.02, right? Think about so, the again, sensationalism then, 10 years ago. I thought that the world oh, was Oh, remember the media then. with Ebola? Oh, and we had, like, yes. what, one nurse and one doctor come back uh-huh. to the U.S. with it? Oh, yeah. every day. For, yeah. um, and for then months. they were tracking that nurse as she went yeah. back up Unreal. to her. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and then like she would go for a walk and there'd be troopers behind her. That's, that's insane, right. right? But look what happened. We contained the pool. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay, uh, any other thing before we move on to our game segment? I don't know, that's a lot of stuff. No, be no, safe, was, everybody. Yeah. Be smart. Don't do something stupid because, you know, don't change your habits as much as you have well, and to. You shouldn't go into panic mode either. Like, you, you should be concerned. I know there's a lot of hoarding. Be vigilant. You have to yes. be vigilant and just use common sense. I think that's a through line throughout this entire um, podcast episode. You just use your common sense and do your social distancing. I know it sucks. I mean, it's been for me, you know, I think today and yesterday it hit me. Wow, I haven't been able to do the things that I normally want to do. But you stay inside, you stay contained and let this thing die out of or let the people do their jobs treat the infected treat severe cases and just wait for that curve to flatten i i don't know about you guys i'm ready to go back to work man physical i, building. I, I mean am, I, yeah normally i go into uh, uh keller's office for uh kit cats kit cats every oh every i was gonna bring <laughs> some kit cats i forgot <laughs> I have to enjoy my coffee at, it's usually, what, 8.30 in the morning? 8.30 in the morning, and then about 1, 1 o'clock 1 in the afternoon. I, I, I sit there, I drink the coffee, and I'm right. doing more work or, you know, uh, taking a break on the TV. But I usually get a uh, chocolate chip uh, cookie with a uh-huh. coffee in the morning, chit-chat with uh, Dupree and uh, the cafeteria ladies. Uh, I know. I'll, I'll, this is, uh, I'll be looking forward to that again, hopefully right? by the summer or late spring, whenever it is. Okay, so... Uh, give us a quick recap of last episode's okay. riddle. Sure, and and how about a winner? Winner, Wait, winner, chicken, chicken dinner. 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 Oh, chicken sounds so, good. So, what is it? Oh, all this food talk ever since Kit Kat over here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, so just a, a quick recap. Just uh, if this is your first time listening, we we have a segment called Guess That Micro. And each episode, we present a scientific or med- typically a medical scenario. Um, and ask you, our listeners, to just do a little bit of Googling and, and respond via email at thebiobusters at gmail.com with your answers. And uh, the winner we choose from uh, randomly from those that have the correct answer. And then we have a surprise gift, which is in my office and you can't get right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we will get to it when we're allowed to. So... Uh, for now, you will win a prize. When we're authorized to be back on campus. <laughs> but you won't get it. So here's a quick recap from last episode's riddle. Uh, while rarely lethal, this pathogen is a major cause of food poisoning intoxications, resulting in vomiting shortly after ingestion and, and perhaps diarrhea later during the course of disease. Uh, there are only a handful of reports of deaths attributed to this pathogen, including one person who ate spaghetti which have been left on the kitchen counter for several days, as we were just talking about. <laughs> Don't do that. Bad idea. Anyway, today's question is, uh, what pathogen was involved, and how is it able to survive the high temperatures in cooking pasta? And this week's winner is... Dun, dun, Rick dun, Lorenzo. Rick. Dr. Rick Lorenzo, who is my first uh, master's student in my lab. Thank oh, you, Rick. Cool. Oh, I, I see now. Yeah. There's, there's uh, Nepotism? Yes, maybe? I see what's going or maybe on. Maybe I just taught Rick very well. So there's that. Know. There's that. Okay. Um, we received an email from Rick. Thank you, uh, Rick. And I will be getting back to you shortly because I feel bad. Um, so the answer is? Rick says, great podcast. I just want to inform you guys that I recently uh, that I really appreciate your podcast. Just got done with the recent coronavirus three i recently discovered them with the covid pandemic and have become a fan i appreciate your views that i am the only one who shares and i am not the only one who shares those views as to how this pandemic is being handled i graduated from lecom in 2015 my gosh rick it's been a long time after all of the stuff we've been through it's felt like decades weren't you still in grad school at that point uh yeah i was wrapping up No, that's that is the truth. No, no, the first half of 2015. Like I said, it's felt like a decade. And then it was the same year that I met this one. Only five years. Uh, Anyway, and Dr. Keller's my mentor. Yes, I was, and I appreciate that during that time. And I and I appreciate. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, So, uh, oh, and for the episode, the answer is Bacillus cereus, which it is. I believe it survives the high temps in cooking because it is a spore former. That is correct, Rick. And so you will be given 
the coveted prize that is, again, under lock and key at the moment, <laughs> which is a stuffed Bacillus cereus. Mm. Do you want to quickly... Uh, so, uh, just yeah, a little little information about that case, just so you know. Sure. Yeah. Bacillus cereus is a green positive uh, rod-shaped bug, and it makes spores to survive in hostile environmental conditions, including the high temperatures of boiling pasta. If you've ever heard of autoclaving, that's why we do it. It's pressure pressure cooking instruments, uh, like surger, surgical tools to get rid of spores. Um, once food is cooled and it remains at room temperature, the spores actually become active again, what we call germinate, and the vegetative bacteria start growing and making a toxin called cerealide, which induces vomiting. And too much cerealide can be lethal, as happened with the dude that ate the pasta. He left, he made the pasta on a Monday to eat for lunch every day. <laughs> and on Friday... And left it outside. Left it on the... Just counter. Just you put it in little portions out on the uh, kitchen counter. Geniuses. Yeah, and, and on the fifth day, he <laughs> ate it. And he woke up the next... He did not wake up the next day. He died in his sleep. Oh, Jesus. From cerealide poison. So he rested on the sixth day. <laughs> I was waiting for something on that. Well, you rested for a few more days after that, yeah. Folks, sometimes Dr. D is just a little bit inappropriate. (laughs) We'll keep that part. Anyway, um, so it's just another good reminder to store your food appropriately and don't listen to some of these silly people about how to decontaminate your food. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, Should we quickly read the other two guesses before we get to this week's... Uh, Cheyenne was right again. She... um, and she she announced D- digestive disease week, um, which by you will not be disappointed again with this week's digestive <laughs> one too. Um, so we're on our mouse project. Oh, a lot of good stuff here. Anyway, uh, I, 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 I uh, pasted her stuff in well, there. Well, you go ahead and read what you want to read. Well, I, I, I think it's interesting because she brings to us a firsthand perspective. Her mom is a physician, mm-hmm. and uh, she's working in the ER. I see this, yes. And she's purchasing slash supplying her own PPE because uh, hospitals effectively are not allowing access to the mass, at least the hospital she works for, apparently. She got written uh, up, up at first, uh, thinking that... It's ridiculous. Uh, yep. Well, they thought she was stealing the masks from the hospital, but she explained that, no, she bought them on her own, etc., things like that. Uh, she also tells us that she's uh, excited, or she loves how excited Dr. Keller gets about cytokine storms. Well, we just did it again. Yes, sounds like... <laughs> can we try to pull that into every single episode we do? Cytokine storms? Mean, cytokine well, storms? You know, they're pretty important. But just think about it; they sound so cool. They do sound yeah. cool. That's Something bad. you'd read about on the Weather Channel, right? I'm kidding, obviously. Bad joke. Uh, also, another uh, correct guess was from Bonnie. Bonnie yes. also wrote us, oh, and uh, she had the correct guess. We won't read the entire email, but uh, thank you all for writing the show. And uh, Rick, yeah. uh, please Great. email me your uh, mailing address. And when we are allowed back on campus, we will yeah. send you the gift. Take your time, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> don't hold your breath. All right, what have we got today, Keller? Uh, okay, where is my... There it is, back here. Okay. So, one more case of food poisoning. Is that okay? Sure. Must we? Must we? <laughs> well, I had to come up with this on the fly. So, I found something pretty interesting. One one last one, and then we'll do... A, I just want to stick away from coronavirus, if that's okay. Okay, look, one more. In 1980s, a number of patients developed difficulty breathing, and some even required a ventilator to support their breathing while they recovered. You sure this is not a corona case? I'm sure. Sounds like it. These patients all ate at a certain restaurant where they were inadvertently served contaminated food that caused their respiratory symptoms, as well as generalized muscle weakness. This week's question is, I know it's vague, but that's what Google's for. This week's question is, what disease did these patients acquire? And what was the specific contaminated food involved in this outbreak? So we've got a food poisoning, foodborne illness that causes muscle weakness, respiratory problems. Distress. Maybe muscle paralysis. I think we can stop there. We can stop there. All right. All right. Too much away. If you think you know the answer, email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. One last update. Go ahead. Uh, It was just reported 20 minutes ago. uh, Corona beer 
production is being temporarily suspended. No one is buying it. <laughs> well, no, I, that's what I thought too. I thought, oh Wait, boy, is it I going thought, away? Doesn't the virus like replicate and reproduce in the beer? That's what I've been told. Oh, that's what I was. <laughs> okay, obviously um, joking, but the uh, company that produces wow. the beer is halting production because the Mexican government uh, has shuttered non-essential businesses. Oh wow! Okay. And I really like, as you know, I like my Corona Light, especially now that the weather's getting better and. Boy, this is going to – I'm going to have to stock up today when I head over to the uh, beer distributor. And by the weather getting better, Dr. Fauner means uh, it. there's a sun outside and the temperature no has is 45. up to 45 degrees. Hey, I'll take what I can get. All right, so that's our show for today. You can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. Just search for The Biobusters. Uh, you can use any podcast catcher to download our episodes. Uh, you can listen also on thebiobusters.podbean.com. I'm Delbert Abbey Abdallah. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Delbert. And you can find Christopher Fauner at Fauner916. And Dr. Keller has resisted Twitter so far. Still, I am in the original stunts. Never. <laughs> and, and, uh, I saw that it originally said that you can find me... Walk, navigating the building milling or M- moving, moving about, about the, the medical yes. school medical. <laughs> currently I'm not moving about the medical school but if you want to provide your address for our listeners maybe you can get some shout outs you know well, on I'll leave street. the drop off liquor and, well and, hey I'll take any gifts that's that right. I can get at this point <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> alright well thank you all for listening thank and you. thanks to Bond thank and Money for the music thank you